Well, let's get started. We did First Corinthians last week. We started the introduction. Did it sound familiar to you guys? To any of you? Yeah. Sure. 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 A little bit. Yeah. You know, I actually preached. I actually went over First Corinthians. Do you know that? Yeah. I didn't know that. I was doing it. Like this sounds familiar. Like something I've done before. Oh, and I like. Oh, is it? No, it's not. It was. It was. Really? I think. Then I did First Corinthians. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, this is a better version of it. <laughs> it's something that you look at. Like I read through. I'm like, that's not that good. So, um, it's good. There's something that I can definitely improve on. But hey, it should be familiar to you if, since if some of you are there, that we actually went through. But my. I think you can approach your book with different, I guess, different angle. And what I hope to do is really approach it in different angle to... And what we talked about last week is just precisely that. We want to look at it in an angle where we ought to be, or we ought to do, instead of looking at the problems that's being mentioned in this book. Because, you know, it's hard for us to, even though we could relate to problems that's mentioned in the book with us as a church, but it's not always the case. We... Can like today is one of the case, which talks about the division, and I don't really think we're divided <laughs> yet. So it's ref, it's really pointing, seeing it in the angle of what we are all to do and shaping ourselves up to that, um, uh, you know that instead of really trying to struggle to where we are. So theme, as you know, is that we are better together, and then whether we're doing good or doing bad. That whatever we're doing, it just if we're not together, that it's not good. So that's why the theme is that we are better together. And the focus is what we ought to do than what we're doing. So last week, we learned about the city of Corinth, an ancient city of Corinth, and also the city of Corinth in first century. We also learned about the church. What do you guys remember from last week? Like, the like, whole introduction part. It's like San Francisco. <laughs> It's like San Francisco. The city is very much like San Francisco. What else? What about the church that was planted? Um, the church was broken. Yeah, church had issues. Right. Church was divided. Church was church had issues and different things. There were some crazy things. The city was center of trade. In the ancient days, that's what made the city really, you know, prosperous. Right. Really busy and really big city. Um, okay, Any, anything else about the city? It was a bit about Paul's relationship with the church, right? Paul planted it, someone else came, there was division, and Paul went there, and he wasn't received well, and he was upset, he wrote a letter, and he went back, and they decided, you no, know, he sent somebody, and they decided, okay, we want to support Paul, and he was happy, and he wrote another letter, and all of that. So, complicated relationship Paul had with the church, but what we know is that he knows the church really well. Um, and he has a really deep relationship with the church, and we know that well because of all the writings that we read in the Bible and also in historical writings. So, what Paul has done in his beginning part, first nine verses in salutation, is to point out what they ought to be like, right? Pointing them in a positive direction. That their work is, this is what we talked about, that their work is significant, even though they are small, like us, house churches, uh, and their calling is high. And that's, what we learned walked away from last week. So we're going to move ahead to the body of the letter, uh, of the letter, and um, 
I want to give you a context of which what's coming ahead for us. So, when you look at it's 16 chapters in this First uh, Corinthians. So, verse 10 actually begins the actual body of the letter, which falls into two parts. So, 16 chapters can be divided into two parts. First one is Paul's response to information about the Corinthians, which he has heard about them. So he responds to them from chapter 1 to chapter 6. It's his response to what he heard, the problems that he has heard. Second part <clears throat> is his reply to the letter letter the Corinthians sent him. So from chapter 7 to end of chap- you know, chapter 16, verse 4 is about his response to the letter, which explains, which has a question about well, what are we supposed to do about this, about that, how are we resolve this issue? So he responds to that. So that's that's two parts. In the first half, you know, Paul's referring to uh, issues um, that the first the Corinthian church had, and there are four problems. So first part can be divided into four parts. This is important because it allows to see the whole letter whole letter in the context. It's divided into four parts, and first one is division. That's for their first problem. It's chapter 1 to chapter 4. Second part is incest. There's people having sex with their mother-in-laws. Um, that's the problem. That's from chapter. That's in chapter 5. Second, third issue is lawsuits. People are suing each other within the church. Okay, so that's another problem. That's the third problem. That's chapter 6, beginning of it. And the rest is in chapter 12, uh, chapter 6 is about general uh, sexual immorality that he's pointing out. But the big part is chapter 1 through 4, which is talking about the div- division. So, today, in the verse that we're about to study, the six verses, Paul names the problem uh, for the first four problems, which is the division. Then in chapter 1 to 3, Paul builds theological base out of which a solution of that problem can be found. So, he points out the problem and he gives foundation to tackle this problem. And he returns to the problem in chapter 4, in light of what he explained from chapter 1 to chapter 3, after today's verses. So that's our context. So today, the six verses, it's short, but it's pretty significant. But it's laying out the whole problem of the church, and uh, which is the division. So let's go ahead and read together. So this is, uh, we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 to 16. I read one verse, and you read next verse in unison. In harmony, together, okay? Let's do our best here. First 10, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same purpose. For it has been reported to me by those people that there are among you, and brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not, what, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. The word of the Lord. Yeah, let me let's pray. God, we are thankful of your word that points us to a direction where we ought to be. 
giving us solution to our problems, but also causing us. I pray that through our text, uh, you give us understanding by the help of your Spirit, that it guide us and it lead us and it convict us and help us to prepare ourselves as we build this church for your sake. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So, <clears throat> this, we'll go ahead and to ch- verse 10, the beginning right off, is actually the key verse of the whole thing, uh, everything that follows in this section, up to chapter 4, verse 21, must be understood as an elaboration of this appeal, this problem they address in, chapter, in verse 10. So, verse 10 is about the division, and what you see is division, to varying degree, underlay all the problems. All the problems they have is because of the v- division, and vice versa. They have all these problems, which leads to division. So really the focus here is division and the point is that we need to be together, right? So let's take a closer look at this verse. Verse 10. Now I appeal to you, the appeal to you here, the Greek word is a parakaleo and what that is same word that's been used when, you guys remember the parable of Jesus about the prodigal son? And the elder son rejects the father because he has embraced the younger son and father goes outside and appeals to him to come back in. It's the same word that's being used. Same Greek word. So what it means is a deep, deep, strong word that indicates desire for reconciliation. So Paul is saying, I really, really, really want this. I really, really appeal to you, right? In the the brothers and sisters by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you be in agreement be in agreement, fancy uh, Greek word is, is tos atos, legete puntes. Atos means same thing. Legete means same. So what it means is, I want to see that all of you say same thing. That's what it, what it means to be in agreement, is everyone saying the same thing. And there will be no divisions. Divisions literally means split, that you're not split. It's also a political term that there are different sections, different fractions, right? different groups, completely divided. And so, rather, he calls them to be united, right? United here, word, in Greek word, it's based on katariso, which refers to, it's the same word that Jesus used, or you see in the Gospels when, you know, Peter and them came back and they were mending the nets together, putting them together. It's the same word. So, be united means linked together, put together, you know, saw together. So, it's the same word. It's a language of, Fishermen they use when they're talking about the fishing nets. It's the language of tent makers when they're sewing the tent together to make it a one piece. So that means that's what it means to be united, to be put in order, to restore, to put together, right? And but to put together for what? The next uh, phrase is in the same mind and same purpose. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, He's making an appeal that you need to be united, right? Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by close people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. The word here translated in quarrels is in the Greek letter, eris. Eris is a letter of, is, is, a, is reference to a Greek god, goddess, goddess of war, who is a brother of Ares, which is god of war. So, this word, quarreling, doesn't mean simply you're having an argument doesn't mean that you have a little bit of misunderstanding. It actually means there's, there's a war going on. 
there is actual war going. It's a lot more than just simply a few people having differences. That's not what it's about. It's a lot more than that, right? Verse 12, what I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. So let's unpack this one, because obviously Paul, this is how Paul refers to the division. This is how you're divided, right? So simple take on this is that people were divided behind these three leaders. There are people behind Paul, people behind Apollos, and people behind Cephas is Peter. Peter. But obviously this doesn't mean that these leaders are these leaders are, you know, forming the division or they're commanding or you know commanding or saying okay on this group. What it's saying is people are saying that my leader is better and we're Paul's group or we're Apollo's group. Right? Which is which is pretty much the issue that happens a lot in the church. Churches break up a lot because of the issue of division following the leaders. You know, in an often case, it's they follow like associate pastor because they don't like their senior pastor and church split. You know, it's like you guys all follow Josh. Some of you follow Josh and we want to be with Josh. We don't want to be, we don't like you, Dan. Um, and you split and the church splits. I've seen, I've seen in like many churches that actually gets divided because of the issue of leaders. They follow the leaders. And what it is is, they elevate the human leadership and they adore him, they appreciate and they admire and they come to a place where they actually worship the human leader instead of or beyond, uh, beyond, beyond God, beyond Jesus. So, you know, Esther talks about, you know, tells about the story of, you know, how she went to the Hillsong Church in Australia and Sunday that she went to, the, the whole church, whole service, which is like two and a half hours, Longer than hours, right? Two and, a, two and a half hours. The service is about two and a half hours. I went to a church where the service was four hours, right? As far as I know, four hours. Because I got there an hour late, and I left three hours later, and it was still going on, right? <laughs> um, Esther went to church in Hillsong Church, the main campus, and the whole two and a half hours, they were celebrating the senior pastor's birthday. That was the whole service. No Bible was read. It was like someone come and sing a, so it was a party? sing a sing a song of admiration for the pastor. I actually been to. I don't know why this happens. Like we went to Crystal Cathedral in L.A., the the church that's built with glass. Yeah. Uh, you heard of it? Yeah. The Sunday we went there, it was another birthday of the senior pastor. <laughs> the whole thing was they invited like you know, well-known Christian singers and celebrities come and they would say nice things about the pastors, right? They give gifts to pastors. The whole service was about the pastor. And, you know, Esther says, she'd been to small groups and people would say, not according to the Bible or according to the Word of God, they say, according to our senior pastor, this is how it is. So it's almost became that he is worshipped, he is the one who leads, he is the one with authority. So this happens, right? And it's the what really caused the division in the church, a little part of it is like differences and caused by even like Christian celebrities. Not within the church, but outside the church, some people are, some Christians divided because they, you know, I like Chris Tomlin, or I like Matt Redman, or I like, you know, whether it's Christian singers, or celebrities, or people on the radio. I don't listen to any of them, so I don't know their names. There's a, who listens to Christian radio? Eddie, do you? I listen to Christian rap. Okay. So, <laughs> My mom listens to Christian radio in English. Yeah. 
she told me once, like, I was like, Mom, we're listening to Christians. Like, I don't know what it means, but it said Jesus or somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, there are people who like, it's kind of, you know, funny, way, but religiously listen to Christian radio station. And this person, and this person really becomes like their God. According to yeah. him, his word is greater than God's word, yeah. right? Yeah. And there are people like it. A lot of white old ladies are like that. <laughs> um, and in Korea, I know that in Korea, in Christianity in Korea, a lot of known pastors who has a mega church of you know tens of thousands of people, they actually worship this pastor. And they think that if I connect with this pastor, I'll have my salvation. You know, their salvation is dependent on these people. So it is a severe problem for the church, for Christian church, that we follow the leaders more than we should. So that appears to be the problem that Paul may be addressing here. Um, but in the context of Corinthian church, there were a lot of new believers who came to faith. And one of the cases with a church plant is there are people who follow the leaders to, by whom they became believers. Right? Some people in Life Life Church came through uh, faith through Young Life and through me being my, my, I being the leader. And it says in the uh, uh, Acts that a bunch of people in Corinthian church became believers through the work of Apollos. So you are loyal to who has helped you to become a believer, right? So there may be, you know, understandable division because of that, because there's a difference in loyalty. But it's not that simple. This isn't, you know, division by the fan clubs, right? This isn't fan clubs fighting against each other. The division was deeper because the Greek word we find here isn't just they're separated, as if they're at war. You know, you don't fight against each other because you like so-and-so a little better than the others, right? So the division goes deeper. And what we read in the old Christian, uh, Christian text is uh, Christ Sostum, who is the, one of the first theologians that we've known. This is a theologian in first century. He existed in late, like, you know, um, AD 90 or 110. Why are you laughing? Huh? Why are you laughing? Oh, no, I just... Oh, just, it, it's not connected, so oh. Okay, so here the Chrysostom says, argues that Paul is really talking about known leaders in the church in Corinth and their followers. But Paul makes his argument, here's his quote, he makes his argument less severe, not mentioning by the name the dividers of the church, but concealing them as behind a sort of mask. So what that means is, Paul, Apollos, and Peter that are mentioned here are not the actual leaders. He's naming them to mask actual leaders to sort of lessen the severity of the letter. So, but when you look at why would Paul use these names? Paul is a Roman citizen. Apollos was Greek. And Paul refers Peter as Cephas, which is his Jewish name. So what it could have been, and in the city of Corinth, as we understand from last week, is that there were three significant groups within this church, right, within this city. And they are, the you know, people who are Romans, the Greeks, and the Jews. So you see, the division isn't just someone following the leaders. They are divided by race and their heritage. So the division runs, and hostility runs a lot deeper. Plus, what could be also, 
that there may be a division between rich and poor. And we're going to see that later on and when we go to chapter 11, that rich are having it, they're disregarding the poor. So the division might be that Romans are rich ones and the Greeks are the poor families, right? So there may be the division of that. The division also may be geographical division because these are house churches, not all in together, there are different house churches together. So let's say LifeLight, we grew, we multiplied, and there will be LifeLight in Mission, LifeLight in like South Market, and this will be like division between like Soma and Mission, which is understandable, right? Um, it could be that kind of division between geographical areas, division, right? So this division will come to more, you know, come to light as we go on. We'll find more about how they're divided. But let's look at the fourth group. Fourth group says, it's the I belong to Christ group, right? So, are they the one who's actually better behaving? Saying that, you know, don't we all belong to Christ? Which is the right answer. Or what's wrong with this group? We know by the context, because they're mentioned in the same light as the other groups, that this isn't a positive mention of this group. It's negative as well. So, what, it, what we know is this is a group, and it's often in church, that claims to that we are of Christ, implying that the rest of you are not of Christ, right? It's they're, they're claiming Christ as their leader in an exclusive way, that we're the only one who's right. We're the only one who's of Christ. So, it's common that many churches have this little clique or a few people, group of people who consider themselves to be the true believers, Right? They're so of that, they also question the, the salvation of their pastors. And I've actually seen this. Like, Pastor, I don't know if you're really saved by the way you talk and the way you behave. We're praying for your salvation. Right? This is a group who thinks really highly of themselves. Right? And they undermine and they look down on everyone. Right? They're the better ones and they say, I do this, I know this, I've experienced this, I read this book, I know these things and you don't. So we are the true believers and you're not. So it's, you know, self-righteousness. So they're judgmental. You know, they're, um, they're judgmental. They're saying, you know, you're not really there. You need to get better. You're doing these things wrong. And it's a place where we easily see some people, even in the small community, fall into, right? I'm better than you. You need to be saved, right? Um, and this is also a group of people who say, who's not in church and say, I don't need a church. I have to have Jesus with me. I'm Jesus and I are like this. We hang. We're good. I don't need to go to church. I'm, you know, myself is good enough to be true believers. So the group that Paul is referring to is this type of group who says, you're not real believers. I am. And I'm the only true believers within this church. So there are these four groups divided. So Paul makes a point on what's wrong with this picture, these divisions, right? Verse 13 says, Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Obviously, these are rhetorical questions, which has all the answers be no. Right? Paul says, has Christ been divided? The more precise translation is, is Greek word meriso, which is, has Christ been divided and distributed? Like cut in pieces and given out. Right? So what he's saying is that, um, that Christ has been divided up and given to you as your own possession. Like you hold Christ as your own and each of you has separate 
Hold it. So it's people referring to people saying, you know, could it be that he's Jesus is, you know, Christ is mine, he's my little genie in the bottle, and you can have your own Jesus, but I have mine, I own my Jesus, you have your own Jesus. Has it Christ been divided, right? So what his point is that Christ is not divided, so how can his people be? The next two rhetorical questions sort of places uh, let us know. Uh, what we are unified to, what we should be unified to, right? The unity is anchored in these two realities in his question, that is, who died for us and in whose name were we baptized? So, what you see here is Paul is intentionally saying, when, they're pay, when people are saying, I belong to Paul, I belong to Cephas, the I is singular. And Paul uses here that, were you baptized in the name of Paul? The you here, I is is plural that when you when we consider who died for us who in whose name we belong we were baptized to that we're one people we're together in these two realities that we should be united to so this is what Paul will unpack a lot more in the coming weeks but for now he he just lays the foundation for unity and that is the cross of Jesus Christ and the baptism into his name is what we should be united to. And in verse 14 to 16, this is kind of funny, but because it's like Paul having a little senior moment. He kind of mumbles on, right? He mumbles on saying, I thank God that I baptized, you know, he's basically, well, I'm glad I baptized, you know, not many of you, but wait a minute, I baptized some of you, I baptized Stephanus, but I can't remember anybody else. So this is him just kind of mumbling on about baptism, um, who he baptized in or not. Um, but this is also important because he's saying, you know, I didn't baptize that many of you. Not, you know, you shouldn't be saying that you belong to me because I didn't baptize that many of you. And you also know there are people who says, and I met this type of people who said, you know, I was baptized by um, Rick Warren actually baptized me. You know, um, <laughs> you know I was baptized by uh, Tim Keller. So I actually know people who would come and say that, right? I was baptized by this person. Right? Who you who baptized you is not important, right? Who cares? That's not what's important. What's important is whose name you're baptized to. So Paul is saying, I didn't even baptize that many of you. Why are you saying and claiming that that is important? So let's put this all together. Paul is saying, you're all divided. That's nasty. But you shouldn't be because you're called by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by baptism and the cross that you are to be together. And the question is, not who's my leader, who, which group that we belong to, and who we are, but the question that is, that who died for us, is what we should be questioning. So, the question, after reading this, and we're on the theme of division. The problem being pointed out is the division. When we're considering division, I think the question we want to ask is, are we divided? Think of us, Lifeline Church. We're really small. Are we divided? No. No. We're not, right? I mean, we're not even there to be divided. I think we got to grow a little bit bigger to be, you know, to be divided, right? Well, what about us as a the whole church, church universe, uh, universal, like the whole Christian church? Are we divided globally? Yes. You think so? We shouldn't. Yeah, we shouldn't, but we are, right? 
Have you heard people mentioning that you guys call yourself Christians, but you're all divided, you're all, you know, fighting against each other. How can you be, say that you belong to Jesus, right? We are, I mean, divided more severely than, you know, we realize. What about denominations? Does denominations signify that, show that we're divided? Yeah. Sometimes they do, right? Denominations have really problems, worse than we know, worse than most of you know, because most of you don't really follow Christian Daily or Christian News. I mean, I don't, I don't even do it, but... So, the question that we, you know, we want to look at in a positive view, and question is, what does it mean for us to be united? I'll tell you first what is not unity, because people misunderstand unity, right? Unity does not mean tolerance. Unity does not mean that we tolerate sin, we tolerate error, we tolerate false teaching, and we tolerate, you know, bad behaviors and things. Right? When most people hear unity, what they hear is, oh, we need to embrace everyone for who they are, and what they believe, and what they like to do, and, and whatever their lifestyle or religion they have, we need to embrace everyone together. Meaning that, you know, everybody's cool, and if everybody's cool, and we accept that everybody's cool, then we're all together, aren't we? That's not what unity means. Unity doesn't mean tolerance. Because if we do that, we elevate unity over the truth. Unity is more important than the truth that we know. Right? We want peace so that we just want people to accept each other. The truth is, can there be peace in the, in the world? Can there be peace in the world? Yes. No. <laughs> There can't be peace until Jesus comes. Because there will always be people fighting against the truth. And people fighting for the truth. We fight for the truth. Defend the truth. And we're not compromising the truth that we know about Jesus. There can't be peace. There is no peace until Jesus comes. Then we have elevated peace above beyond God. Unity is not achieved by tolerance. Unity also does not mean uniformity. It's like you walk into church and everyone's dressed the same. Right? Everyone's got the same haircut. Um, everyone like talks the same and, you know, greets each other in all the same things. And um, you, you see people in all the same dress. You know, like in the future, you know, you watch a sci-fi movie, everyone's wearing this silver suit with a V in the middle. Everyone's together. We have peace. Everyone's unified. That's not... I love uniforms, <laughs> but I like it because, I, you know, for the professional reasons and how people look great. But unity doesn't mean that everyone looks the same, right? Everyone likes the same things. That's not what uniform means. Unity means, like, things are the way it's supposed to be. I watched uh, the Lego movie. Have you guys ever seen the Lego movie? Yeah. I saw the Lego movie yesterday. It was great. Right? Lego movie. And did you know Will Ferrell is in it actually as a person? So it's really funny uh, because Lego movie, Lego movie shows like, that's me. Because it talks about Will Ferrell comes in and say, I'm giving you a spoiler here. Will Ferrell comes in, you know, I, I got everything the way it's supposed to be. Right? You can't move it. It has to be built, Lego bricks. It has to be built the way the instruction has to be. This person has to go here, there. Building has to be in this shape. And his son is being a kid, he's messing around and putting this thing over here. He's being, bringing Batman where he's not supposed to be. 
you know, there's a dragon on top of the building and everything. He's like, that's not what it's supposed to be. We have to have it exactly the way it's supposed to be. I love it. And the kids say, what? They're just, you know, but isn't this my toy? No, this is a grown-up toy. It's a sophisticated, freak-joining thing. But, and the kids say, but it came from a toy store. That doesn't matter. And he says, it's from age four to eight. Well, that's just a suggestion, okay? But this is a grown-up toy. Your toy is right there. He's got like leftover pieces on the corner. That's what you play with. This is mine. So the whole movie is about him trying to fit it in the way it's supposed to be. And the kids just wanted to play the way he wants to. Because that's not unity. Unity allows creativity, right? Unity allows creativity, diverse, diversity and differences. And what you see is, as we move on in, in Corinthians chapter 12, Paul actually argues for diversity as an expression of unity. That it's not a contradiction of unity, but it means unity. Diversity points to unity. People with differences can work together if they have the same purpose, right? We could have differences. We could have different preferences, right? Different music, different type of you know, way we do things. We could. But that doesn't mean the unity is broken. And I think, you know, we have same purpose, same goal, but in the way that we go about things, the methods can be different. It's okay to be creative and have, have diversity. So then, what would unity look like for us? I'll give you three sides of it. First, is theological unity. We need to be unified in the stuff that we believe in. We believe in the same thing, the important things, right? Have you guys ever been to a church website? Mm -hmm. Do you know what it says when you go to a church website? It says about life light. So we are a community in San Francisco learning to live in love like Jesus. Right? We believe in that. We come together with that. And it also has a little belief section. And I wrote this. And here's our belief. And this is important stuff that we believe in. Right? That we together are unified in this. And it says, The creation of all things and the promise of love, justice and mercy are from God, and only in Christ this salvation and hope is off offered to all people to whom we are called to love. I wrote that. <laughs> but because it really simplifies what we believe in, um, and it can be expression that we can say together. This is our theology. And there's also you know article of faith that you can click on and be linked to Church of the Nazarene, and which shows that this is what we believe in. And in the larger sense, we are a Wesleyan tradition. doesn't mean that we disagree with other traditions, like Lutheran tradition or Calvinistic tradition. It just says we have our unique focus in theological issues, like sanctification and holiness. That we are together unified theologically. Second, we are unified philosophically. Which means there are ways we do things that unifies us. One thing is that we're Nazarenes, right? We're Nazarenes and we have a heritage as a Church of the Nazarene that is actually based on unity. Do you know that Church of the Nazarene came together when the other denominations were breaking up? It was in the uh, uh, early and late 19th century, early 20th century, because of the civil rights movement, denominations were broken up. You guys know like Southern Baptist, American Baptist, they were divided in different parts uh, uh, um, Presbyterian denomination, 
these denominations all broke up at that time because of civil rights. Black, right, and not, and they were divided. And in that time, different denominations came together and said, we want to be unified. We want to be together in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And that's our denomination. That's Church of the Nazarene. We have a heritage of desire and the value of coming together and being unified. That's our heritage. And we have certain way of doing things which we see in our manual. And as a local church, we have certain way of doing things, right? Our values like serving and disciple making and, you know, things that we emphasize all the time, right? And we want something that we want everyone to rally behind. Third, unity is missional unity. That our mission brings us together. Our calling that we are here in San Francisco wanting to serve the city, wanting to reach out to the city. So, these are ideals that bring us together, but still, these are human, very human, because we need more, right? We need something that runs deeper to bring us together, because what can divide us? What do you think divides us? Division doesn't happen overnight, right? I'm sure the Corinthian church, next day, everyone's divided. It doesn't happen. It starts with little things. And often in church, it starts by what? The little G word? Gossip. <laughs> right? Division starts with gossip. Right? Some people say these things, and other people, some people take this side, and it gets divided. Right? Gossip. Um, sometimes divided by sin. Like, a church gets divided. I know an old church that, you know, Pastor's son ran off with one of the teenage kids. And, you know, stuff like that. A sin of the church. Sometimes somebody steals money from the church. Right? Sin of people within the church divides the church. Right? And selfish desires. Some people come to church with their own agenda. Like, I'm here in this church because I want to do these things. And because of selfish agenda, it divides the church. And it happens slowly by little things. And I think all these things are driven by fear. It's all driven by fear. People doing things that divide church because of fear. Fear of others, fear of insecurity, fear of what happened in the past coming true. You know, racial division is there because of fear, right? You fear the other group. You remember what's been done in the past. So if we're together... If we're to be together, we need something extraordinary. That's why Paul said it's about who died for us. Unity is around Jesus and only Jesus. We come together as the people of the truth. Truth that Jesus came, he died, he was raised from the dead, and he will come again. And truth that his love cast out all fear. When we cling to Jesus... We get to be together. That's why we focus on learning to live and love like Jesus. That we are focusing on Jesus. That we as a church promote only Jesus. He's the best thing that we can offer to people. Not the events or social causes or the vibe that we can show or cool music that some other churches do. It's only Jesus that we promote. Because it's only Jesus that we come together as a community. So... Division and knowing what divides and how we can remain and continue to be together as we grow is important stuff for us. 
and to know and remind that only Jesus, anything but Jesus will divide us. And it's really important because Jesus prays for one thing for us. Do you know what Jesus prays for us? In John chapter 16, He prays that we will be together. It must have been that dangerous that what He saw is us being divided. He prayed that we be together because it was that important. We need to come together. I want to end with this quote from Bonhoeffer. This is a great quote of the book. This is on page 36. If any of you are reading, you can get it pretty cheap on, on uh, Amazon. Here's a quote. Listen to this. Because God already has laid the only foundation of our community, because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we enter into common life with them, we enter into that life together with other Christians. Not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. Receive from who? From Jesus. That we focus on Jesus, then we can be together. And this is the foundation of our community. There's nothing but Jesus. We receive what Jesus offers, which we join together um, in a minute. Let me pray. And Ken's going to lead us in receiving what Jesus has to offer for us. Father, we pray that that we won't be naive, but we watch out. We're small and we're together, but there is always something that will endanger our unity. And I pray that we'll continue to focus on you, learning about you, promoting you, and we are all about you. And in that, in His name, in your name, that we come together and we be unified. That everything do, everything we do and everything we don't do is in consideration, is in reflection of what we have received from you in our remembrance of you. God, I pray that you'll protect us as a community and that we'll faithfully pray for others, the church in global that we will come together and be one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.